0: and welcome back to hits 21 where me Rob me Andy and me Lizzie all look back at every single UK number one of the 21st century from January 2000 right through to the present day if you want to get in touch with us you can find us over on Twitter we are at hits 21 UK that is at hits 21 UK And you can email us as well. Just send it on over to hits21podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us again. Just like our previous episodes, or our recent previous episodes, we're going to be looking back at, well, it's one number one single from the year 2002. The Christmas number one of 2002. Of course, this is, well, it's not an annual tradition. It's a sort of two-monthly tradition on Hits 21 where we do a a Christmas (laughs) episode and we have a big look at the Christmas number one and the Christmas charts of the particular year we've been covering over the previous sort of nine or ten episodes. So as always, you know, it's our news headlines and pop culture stuff. Andy's going to go through some Christmas TV. Lizzie's going to look back at some toys and games. We're going to look back at the year. We're going to run down The top 10 on Christmas Day 2002. We're going to take a big look at the number one single on the big day. And then we'll finish off with the bit that I think everybody looks forward to, which is our worst five songs of the year and our best five songs of the year that we've covered so far on the show. Last week's poll winner, um, I think you can all guess what it was, uh, there was a vote in there for sorry seems to be the hardest word. <laughs> Somebody not convinced by Eminem. So, you know, fair play to that person. It's all just about opinions and we're all allowed them and that's completely fine. And um, just want to address a couple of things uh, before we get on to this week's episode. Uh, you've probably worked out that I sound a bit croaky. Um, it's just that I am hopefully coming out the other side of my second ever bout of COVID. Um, I've been generally okay um and well enough to do this at least but i just might sound a bit hoarse and I, i'm not apologizing because it's not my fault but i'm just warning you about it um <laughs> the the other thing that i just wanted to mention um as well was i was really sad this week to wake up and find out that paula grady had, had died um yeah. I, yeah I feel like you know it, it does timestamp stamp this episode a little bit but yeah what a, just I mean I know he's had his health issues and stuff and like the guy lived fast and and so goes the saying that he died young but still such a I I grew up with Lily Savage on TV when she was on um blankety blank that was that was when I was a kid and watching primetime telly and stuff but as I've got older and I've stopped watching primetime TV I've found out a lot about Paul Grady and especially this week about a lot of things that he did, especially during the late eighties and early nineties. Um and I always really loved his little story for um at Scylla Black's funeral as well. That's one of my favourite clips of anything. It's such a beautiful speech. He does this seven eight minute story of just the time he had with um with Scylla. I I don't know if you if you two wanted to say anything about him.
1: Just that um I was also really, really big fan of him. My mum absolutely loved him. And I think he doesn't get enough credit for having quietly paved the way for a lot of um, bringing to the mainstream of queer culture. And specifically drag culture, obviously, through Lily Savage. But I think it was almost equally as important that we didn't just see Lily Savage, we saw Paula Grady as well and gave us that concept of, you know, gay people and drag performers are not just one thing, that we have facets, that we are, you know... Potential entertainers in different ways. Um, and that, you know, he was able to have such a varied career, express political views very eloquently, but still be a dirty drag queen at the same time, I think sure. <laughs> made him just an absolutely fantastic role model um, and a very, very, very sad loss. And uh, it was a, such a feature of my life when coming home from school in the noughties every day. It'd be deal or no deal at quarter past four and then the Paul O'Grady show at five o'clock. And me and my mum oh, yeah. and my sister would all play the intro game together um so yeah really really sad loss and yeah he'll very he'll definitely be remembered very for for a very very long time yeah
2: yeah people talk about like the fresh prince into the simpsons as their big childhood tv memory mine is paulo grady into the simpsons Mm. yeah every every weeknight five o'clock paulo grady six o'clock simpsons yeah 100 percent yeah yeah and, and even more recent things like um, For the Love of Dogs. I love For the Love of Dogs. It's oh, one of it's those, lovely, um, yeah. Even in more recent years, as you know, people don't really watch TV all as a family anymore. It's just not something you do. But I've always found that to be quite a unifying thing. As like, I don't, I don't know what to put on. Let's put Paul O'Grady on and watch the dogs. It's, it's just a really nice, sort of wholesome show. And mm. yeah, I'm. I'm going to miss his presence on television, on the radio, just in general. He's like, he's an icon and it's a huge loss.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, see you later, Paul. Thanks very much. Um, as always, um, we are going to now move on to our episode. And as always, we're going to give you some news headlines from around the time that these songs are, well, the song that we're covering this week Uh, was at number one in the UK. Stuart Campbell, a 44-year-old builder from Essex, is found guilty of murdering his 15-year-old niece, Danielle Jones. It was later revealed that Campbell, who was sentenced to life in prison, already had a string of previous convictions, including keeping an an underage girl at his home without lawful authority back in 1989. And to this day, Danielle's body has never been found, with the
1: last search taking place in 2017. Meanwhile it's revealed that 2002 set the record for the greatest number of British car purchases within a calendar year with over 2.5 million cars sold in the UK between January and December. The Ford Focus is named as Britain's best selling car Meanwhile mobile network BT Cellnet changes its name to O2 which I think we can all agree rolls off the tongue much better than BT Cellnet Yeah, Yeah. good decision guys
2: (laughs) And American fashion photographer Herb Ritz dies of pneumonia, aged 50. As well as photographing models and celebrities for fashion magazines throughout the 80s and 90s, he was also responsible for the front covers of albums such as Physical by Olivia Newton-John, True Blue by Madonna, and Break Every Rule by Tina Turner. Hell of a resume there.
1: Yeah, very influential. Yeah, yeah, that's, there's some really iconic covers there, yeah. Yeah. mm so normally at this point, we would discuss the
0: films at the top of the UK box office or, as Andy would normally do, the UK album charts, or as Lizzie would do, a report from the US, but everything's basically the same as uh, as it was in the previous episode. So instead, we're going to do our tradition, uh, our Christmas show tradition, where <laughs> Andy, you're going to run through what was on TV over the festive period in 2002, and Lizzie... Uh, me and Andy are going to try and guess what games are in the top ten before you read them out. (laughs) Okay. So, Andy, what was on telly uh, over the Christmas week in 2002?
1: Yeah, so everybody, put yourselves in the minds of Christmas 2002. Put yourself on the couch in front of a roaring fireplace, crack open the big box of celebrations, and immediately go for the Galaxy Truffles. Rest in peace. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because it's time to talk about the TV. And it's a very varied Christmas in the TV schedules. That varied is the word I would politely use. Um, there are also some familiar faces from Hit 21 that pop up along the way. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was interesting as well. Over on the BBC, their big feature, their headline event of Christmas Day, is somewhat unbelievably an hour-long special of Ground Force... Um, oh, <laughs> beggar's belief I t- Maybe it was really big at the time But I've never watched it So, yeah. Well I should say It's not their main feature of the day But it's the biggest thing that, that's on in prime time And then later that night Their main feature is another new Only Fools and Horses Christmas special So the synopsis of this new Only Fools and Horses Christmas special says With the family fortune squandered The Trotters cook up a new Rags to riches scheme Which baffled me, because that's surely the synopsis of every episode of Only Fools and Horses ever. (laughs) It's just like an episode of The Simpsons that says, Homer gets up to a silly but adorable scheme, whereas Bart skateboards. You know, it's like... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, also on the BBC, we've got a festive edition of Alistair McGowan's Big Impression. Another throwback there. Um, They have the TV premiere of Chicken Run Which was released in cinemas two years earlier Which I'm sure we'll all agree is a great film Um, Oh yeah But it was not really a vintage Christmas Day on the BBC Um, But they do however have a children's entertainment show on In the morning called Exchange Extra Both words beginning with an X Exchange Extra In which Atomic Kitten visit Lapland For the viewers' amusement Um, And Boxing Day's edition of that TV show, Exchange Extra, features H and Claire performing their hits, or should I say their hit. <laughs> so that's the BBC, bit of a strange one, and ITV's schedule is equally eclectic and strange. On Christmas Day, their main offerings are two different episodes of Christmas Celebrity Blind Date, funnily enough, Sylla Black coming into view again there, mm. as well as two episodes back-to-back of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Celebrity. Um... Still at its height there. Still a massive show. Who wants to be a millionaire? On Boxing Day, they launch a new adaptation of Goodbye Mr. Chips, starring Martin Clunes. And on Christmas Eve, there is a Des O'Connor Christmas special. It's really not a vintage Christmas for TV, is it, this one? Wow. (gasps) Yeah. But it is a vintage Christmas in one area, which is the soaps, where there are some iconic stories unfolding at this time. Um, On EastEnders, young heartthrob Jamie Mitchell... Is run over accidentally by his rival, Martin Fowler. Jamie dies in hospital on Christmas Day in the arms of his girlfriend, Sonia, who would go on to marry Martin, who ran over Jamie, such yeah. as the way in Soapland. In Emmerdale, the character Louise Appleton, no relation to All Saints, she flees the village with her boyfriend to escape her stalker, but once she's in the car, she realises that her boyfriend, Ray, is the stalker and has to make another escape. A thrilling escapade there, no doubt, but I don't watch (laughs) Emmerdale, so I'm not sure. Um, And perhaps most notably of all, on Coronation Street, Richard Hillman's reign of terror on the street reaches a peak as he plots Emily Bishop's death over Christmas. He fails to kill her on this occasion, leading him to start planning his next attempt in the first week of January, which will see him instead murder Maxine Peacock. So Mm -hmm. a big one on the soaps this year, yeah. And it had also been a big year for the royal family, and Queen Elizabeth II used her Christmas Day message to reflect on the deaths of Princess Margaret and the Queen Mother earlier that year, and how it had contrasted with the joy of the Golden Jubilee. Celebrations. The Queen, funnily enough, would herself die immediately following Jubilee celebrations exactly 20 years later. So there's some um, weird echoes of the future there. And on that note about Christmas messages, um, one final mention to Channel 4's alternative Christmas message, which I've neglected to mention in previous years. And just to recap, so to give you some context of what the alternative Christmas messages do usually look like. In 2000, it was delivered by Helen Jeffries, the mother of a Kruzfeld Jacobs disease victim. In 2001, it was delivered by Janelle Guzman, a survivor of the 9 11 attacks. And in 2002, it was delivered by Sharon Osborne. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what is this? God. Yeah. I almost want to find that. Yeah, we'll have to dig that to out. See. I'll tell I'll tell you there is much more to discuss about that alternative Christmas message as the decade goes on. There are some great names that pop up there. But yeah, mm. that is your T V Christmas. Hope you enjoyed it. Um if not, then I don't blame you because it was a bit of a odd one. But um uh, yeah, that was Very. your T V Christmas. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking on that um, alternative Christmas message. It's a shame they didn't get Ozzy in to do his rendition of um, "Walking in a Winterland." up. <laughs> uh-huh. um, is, <laughs> is, is it that one
0: with Jessica Simpson? Yeah, <laughs> Jessica
2: Simpson. Yeah, that's the one.
0: Yeah, I, oh. I the, the the favorite moment of that clip. Um, I've got to leave that in the description for everybody. Is after the key change towards the end where he goes
1: later
0: could and he just sounds like a, a, I think someone in the YouTube comments just sounded like he's like a, a robot that's like trapped <laughs> who has like locked-in syndrome and is and cannot move away from this Christmas nightmare it's <laughs> It is such a good experience It's so funny Listen, Just yeah.
1: to continue riding the Aussie train For a bit longer The crazy you, train Yeah. <laughs> have yeah. you seen um, that advert at the moment Starring Aussie and Sharon for the PS5 VR 2 um, It's so oh funny It's it's completely scripted Obviously <laughs> it's so bad Where Sharon's like Come on Aussie, we've got to catch a plane to England And
2: Aussie's sat on the couch like No Sharon, I don't want to go I'm playing my PS5 VR 2 <laughs> It's so fast. It's terrible. Oh, dear.
0: Um, so, yeah, Lizzie, how how are the games looking?
2: Well, Ozzy's playing with his new toy. And what about other new toys in 2002? Well, I've got the Toy Retailers Association of the UK and Ireland, their Toy of the Year 2002 awards in front of me. Ooh, so yeah. I'll start from the bottom and work my way up. The company of the year is Mattel. The best new toy of the year is Micro Pets by Tomy. Oh, oh, I don't wow. totally remember those. Yeah, uh, me neither. Uh, Unless it was those, like... No, it's not the robot pet things, is it? Or something else? No,
0: they were like the little... The sort of like the size of, like... I seem to remember they were like the size of wind-up toys.
2: Right, Okay.
0: Maybe they were wind-up toys, I can't really remember, but you used to get them in, like, little, like, cylindrical, colourful tub things that were plastic and see-through, and they just used to sit inside and look at you all lovingly and that sort of thing. But I, I don't know what they actually were, what function they had. Maybe it was the same as Funko Pops, where they don't really have a function, they just kind of are. (laughs) <laughs> if you know what I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> destined yeah, yeah, yeah. to end up in landfills and never, never degrade over the next five hundred years, uh, that sort of thing.
2: But yeah, carry on. <laughs> so carrying on, uh, we've got the innovative toy of the year, which went to VJ Stars, which I'm sure you've probably never heard of. It's a video karaoke machine. It looks very bad. Uh, no, I kind of want one.
1: We're in a bit of a ghetto really for that kind of stuff at the moment aren't we because we're in between the era where karaoke like at home was fine and you could just do it with a cassette and a microphone and we're only about five years away from the time where you can just do it all through youtube so we're in this horrible little ghetto at the moment where things like that look really dated and are far more dated than they really should be unfortunately Mm. yeah yeah
2: Yes, something promising that you can record your own music video with a VCR is going to look very outdated (laughs) within, I don't know, about a year.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, not good. Anyway, moving on. Um, The game of the year is Top Trumps.
1: I used to love Top Trumps. I had about 10 packets of them. Um, Yeah, they were great. I used to love them. Yeah,
2: Never really got into it, but yeah um moving on we've got uh, the preschool toy of the year which went to the leap pad
1: don't move nope. make... moving on okay no.
2: <laughs> the girls toy of the year i think this may have won last year as well but it went to Bratz dolls okay oh.
0: yep yep that makes sense
2: then moving on to the boys toy of the year it's a big year for spider-man Mm. goes away with the boys toy of the year yeah and finally the big one toy of the year anyone want to guess um Beyblades, maybe got it in one yes that was the big thing in the playground at
1: this time yeah definitely Uh, let it rip as they used to say just as
0: enthusiastically (laughs) as that on the TV show let it Um, rip (laughs) I I owned a few of them I had a little Beyblade arena like that was sort of made out of really thin plastic and then Whenever I let it rip, as it were, uh, with the Beyblade, um, I was always disappointed that like, the dragon on the little plasticky thing in the middle of the Beyblade, it, it didn't come out of the Beyblade like it did on the TV show. I was,
1: I was always <laughs> wondering why. Yeah, and then I got older and realised that it was a cartoon
2: and I not think, real life. So. I think, yeah. to
1: be honest, Rob, it was fair for you to not expect that your toy would have the ability to create life. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. no
2: wonder Watchdog didn't get back to you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had a few of them, though. And I saw, like, um, when I was doing the research for, I think, the last episode, because I think it had its first episode broadcast on terrestrial TV in the UK um, in 2002, I remember looking back at some pictures of Beyblades, and I tell you, there was a feeling unlocked within me when I saw a Beyblade that was like, oh, doesn't that look interesting? And I remember, like, having to collect... You get you'd collect different like Beyblade spinning top toy things, and then you could customize them with that like centerpiece with a little picture on it, and you could change them all, um, and you could move like one part of a Beyblade off it and onto another one, and that sort of thing. I I think I chopped them out in like 2004. Very much a craze, very much a craze rather than a mainstay.
1: And it got really serious in the playground. Sometimes people would say, "Oh, whoever wins this one." you know, I win your Beyblade. I get to take your parts mm. and customise it and we'll swap up parts. And, you know, people would get really upset and teachers had to get involved and give us an assembly where Beyblades were banned because we were starting a gambling ring by accident. It was starting to turn into a bit of a black market. <laughs> oh my God. Um, the same way I had with Pokemon cards where it was like <laughs> people giving away their pocket money for the promise of a Charizard that never materialised. It was turning into one of those again. So, Yeah. <laughs>
2: So anyway, uh, video games. Do you want to take any guesses um, about entries or the number one or whatever you want?
1: I am gonna say I'm gonna say that that pop idol game will be in there somewhere because that was popular. I think.
2: Okay.
0: I'm gonna go with FIFA 2003. That's a bit of an easy Ooh, one, though.
2: Oh yeah. It's a good guess, though. It's a good guess. So yeah, um, start, let's see start if it's running it down. Yeah. Yeah. So at number ten we have Monsters Inc. Scare Island, Monsters Inc. Scare Island. Yes, I owned that. That was great. Yeah.
0: Aww. No, never heard of that, I'm afraid. Uh, nope, nope, can't recall it.
1: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. You should get it.
2: Well, carrying on with the movie tie-in games, at number nine, we have Spider-Man the Movie, the game. Okay. See,
1: that's okay, but Spider-Man 2 obviously which will come out in 2004, that is like one of the best movie tie-in games ever. It's so, so good. But the first one's just okay, yeah.
2: Agreed. Uh, In at number eight, we have a game that was in the top ten last year. It's Gran Turismo 3.
1: Oh, still going, wow, well done. Yes,
2: still hanging in there. In at number seven, we have Metal Gear Solid 2. Oh. Hmm. One of the best games ever. <laughs> uh, so in at number six, um, continuing with movie tie-ins, actually, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Had
1: that on PS2, yeah. Yeah, I, I know
2: if you I could never into
0: those games. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't do it. I just... I had friends who had it, and... I used to, you know, play Vice City secretly at my friends' houses because I wasn't allowed Grand Theft Auto games until I was about 14. Um, and so I used to sneak around and want to play Vice City all the time, but with the Two Towers and the Lord of the Rings games, even like the Re- the Return of the King game as well, the only bit I really remember is the bit where they go and get like the, the ghost army, you know, the condemned ghost army yeah. where they're like, you killed men in life and so you are not allowed to have your souls pass into wherever. And that was the yeah, only yeah. bit I really remember of that game. Um, wasn't a great, wasn't a great fan. They were okay. They were nothing special, yeah.
2: Well, that game was made by EA Games, and continuing with EA Games, we have at number five Medal of Honor Frontline.
1: Aww. Ah. Used to yeah. play that quite a lot with um, my best friend at school, so it, although it's not my type of thing, it was very much his type of thing, so I know that game very well. Yeah. I think that's uh, a
0: favourite of Mark on Peep Show, isn't it? The memory card! I oh, yeah. nearly broken through on Medal <laughs> of Honor. They've nicked 120 <laughs> hours of quality me time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, continuing with EA Games and continuing with movie tie-ins, at number four we have Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets.
0: Ah, oh, mm. classic. I don't, don't remember that game. I remember the Philosopher's Stone
1: one, but I don't remember that one.
2: It's yeah. become a bit of a cult favorite in recent years, I think that one.
1: It's generally agreed to be the best Harry Potter game, but that's that's mm. a low bar. Um but yeah,
2: well, I guess until this year, but yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 there's maybe that one. Yeah.
2: So in at number 3 and this was last year's number 2, it's Grand Theft Auto 3 again. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Still wow. hanging in there. So does C- that mean
0: Vice City and FIFA are the top two.
2: They are, but which order?
1: Oh, I would say Vice City will be number one.
2: Yeah, and you'd be right. Yeah, yeah. Vice City is number one. FIFA 2003 is number two. Ah. But yeah, I I take it that Grand Theft Auto three is still in there because people would have only been you know only just been getting a PS two around this time.
1: Yeah, this was the year I got a PS2, right around this exact time, because I got it just before Christmas, just before Christmas 2002, so literally right at this moment is when I got one,
2: yeah. I got um, Smackdown Shut Your Mouth as my Christmas (laughs) game, which came in (laughs) number nineteen this year. I just love,
1: I love the title of that game, there's no way of saying it that isn't like aggressively confrontational.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah, FIFA 2003 was the first FIFA I ever played, um... I remember being away with family friends. Uh, we used to go away every Christmas um, to just to somewhere else. We went to Wales, Scotland, Cornwall, etc. Between um, like Christmas and New Year, we used to do Christmas at home, and then on Boxing Day or the twenty seventh, we used to drive to like say Devon, Cornwall, Wales, Dumfries. I think was a place we went in Scotland. And um, the two uh, two of my family friends, um, their sons, they had... Uh, we used to see each other basically all the time. Um, and uh, they had a PS2 and they brought FIFA 2003. And I remember it was on the front, from memory, Ryan Giggs, Edgar Davids and Roberto Carlos. Yes, and, it was. <laughs> yeah, and they had the the PS2 version. And we used to play that a lot while we were on holiday, uh, going out for like walks and things like that. And we'd all... we'd we'd split across like two or three cottages because there were 11 of us and we used to go to the same central cottage in the morning for breakfast and whatnot and the the PlayStation 2 would always be playing. I seem to remember as well that FIFA 2003 had Miss Dynamite on the soundtrack. It did? Yes, and yeah, so I've got really vivid memories of um, the game menu loading while the beat to Miss Dynamite is playing as like bed music uh, (laughs) in the background.
1: Yeah.
2: It also ah, had a remix yeah. of "Complicated" by Avril Lavigne, which I don't remember.
0: Don't remember that from the soundtrack, but I will seek it out after this, definitely.
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh, um. Also, just to report back on your guess, Andy of Pop Idol, I'm afraid that was released in 2003. Oh, it so, was, was it? Oh, yeah. Well. So we'll have to see next year if it makes the top ten. Oh, that was
1: so. That was a great unintentional teaser. Come back next year, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you very much, uh, guys,
0: Andy for your TV section, and Lizzie for your games report. Um, so now what we're going to do is we're going to look back at the year 2002. How do we feel about it? What do we think it, I don't know, what, what, what do we think it predicts? What do we think it spells the end of? Um, Andy, 2002, what have you, just, you know, generally, you can go into as much detail as you want. What, what, what have you made
1: of this year? I think one of the things that's really struck me about this year is how stop and start it's been in that I think with 2000... You know, we hold that up as a very strong year, which I do think in retrospect, it really was a very strong year. But one of the reasons for that was that it seemed like there was such a fresh set of genres and sounds emerging at the time. It felt like you could capture this is what 2000 was. And similarly with 2001, but that was a bit of a weaker year. With this year, I feel like it's been a little bit sort of unsure of itself at times where you can't really predict what's going to be the next big thing. It's hard to see trends emerging. And I think the main reason for that is that the one big trend that has emerged in a really big way this year is talent shows. Um, And I think that really creates a problem for the charts which obviously is going to get worse as the years go by but I, I, I think that the industry is not yet really sure how to handle all these freshly made pop stars who arrived on the scene straight away with no actual music to back them up yet so they have to sort of throw something out really quickly which means we've got these number ones that really in anyone else's hands would not have got number one stuff like Unchained Melody which okay that's got number one before but in 2002 would it have made it? No I don't think so We've got stuff like Colourblind by Darius, which is a decent enough song. But again, would it really have got number one in other people's hands? I don't think so. We've had, you know, a lot of people who have actually tried and failed behind the scenes and didn't get number one this year. The Cheeky Girls, for example, you know, they've done very well. But really, it's just a novelty song. And it's sort of I can see why people at the time might have been a bit annoyed that this kind of stuff that had no real traction that was there purely to cash in on a TV show rather than stand as music in its own right. Was sort of stunting the development of pop music at that time. And like I say, that's the thing that's going to get worse um, as the years go on. But there is some hope there, in that one thing I've really noticed about talent show winners is that you can quite easily realize the penny is dropping, that um, these people have to have something to back them up. They have to have some credibility, or they will fade away very quickly. Will Young, for example, we've had three number ones from Will this year, and he has shown a lot of soul. He's shown that he actually has some character, that he is sliding towards a genre that he will slip into quite comfortably as the years go by. We've got another artist, who I won't name, <laughs> who we're covering um, later in this episode, who has slid very well into a genre straight away as well. The big anomaly to that is Gareth Gates, who has been probably you know the biggest star of this whole year, um, in terms of cultural impact at the time, not not the legacy, but, you know, the kind of presence that he had at the time in the UK and the, you know, amount of number ones and the amount of chart presence that he had at the time. Gareth Gates is, you know, the future of where X Factor and Pop Idol and stuff like that is going, where his story, his narrative is so strong that it almost doesn't matter that all of the singles have been total rubbish. <laughs> um uh, you know, I sort of didn't mind Unchained Melody and any one of us was problematic but okay. But really, you know, there's nothing there. And so I think this this is a kind of overriding thing that I've noticed from this year, really, is that there's a lot of stuff that's getting to number one not because of its musical value. And so the stuff that is getting to number one for other reasons tends to be quite interesting and different. Um, you know, as much as I didn't like Dilemma... I do think, huh, that's a genre we've really not heard much from so far, that that's kind of a real totem of that genre of early noughties R&B. We've had Lose Yourself as well, which is, you know, a, a- iconic song for Eminem, and it was great to hear that showing up as well. Um, we've had Freak Like Me, which, again, that was the real kind of... Um, a really innovative use of a sample you know something that we don't well have two samples and two songs combined basically that, we, that you know we've not really heard much like that before most of all i think heaven by dj sammy you know the start of that clubland clubland scene where uh, there are so many songs that will follow after this by the likes of kelly lorena and um Who's those who sing? Oh, Cascada is who I'm thinking of. You know, there'll be lots of songs by them that will sort of echo Heaven by DJ Sammy. And so there's been a lot of stuff that's broken through that has had inklings of new genres and new ideas that are coming to the fore. But it's been constantly weighed down by this presence of reality TV stars who are really kind of muddying the waters with these old tracks that are very boring. Um... Yeah, so it's been a mixed picture this year, and it's not been my favourite really, but I think when it's got going and there have been songs that have really stood out, boy, they have really, really stood out. And it's possibly because a lot of it has been quite sludgy otherwise and a little bit generic. Um, Yeah. I'm, um, I'm looking forward to the next year because I think things will open up further but this year I think because it's been such a big year for talent shows we've had Pop Idol the back end of Pop Stars Fame Academy Pop Stars The Rival uh, Pop Stars The Rivals as well You know, there's been a lot of focus on that, and I can't ignore it, but yes, things will open up more next year, but it's been a very kind of mixed one this year, and like I say, the stuff that has really stood out has been great, but there's been an awful lot of sludge in the mix as well. Um, So, yeah, strange old year 2002, yeah.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, Lizzie, how how do you feel about the year that's just gone?
2: Yeah, I very much agree that it's quite a strange year, and I don't think we actually get anything like it again, where talent shows just dominate the entire pop landscape for an entire year um Mm. yeah i think we like i had a look before we have something like 10 cover songs that top the charts over the course of a year yeah again i don't know if we ever get that many again but it just kind of solidifies the fact that this is a bit of an anomaly of a year and as much as i do think we have some stuff that is looking forward to quite a bright pop future you know like the sugar babes and band who shall not be mentioned um Mm -hmm. there's also a lot of like looking back and quite sort of reflective stuff even if it's just in the form of covers it's also i think maybe like a sort of uncertainty about what the future holds and you know whether we can be sure of or at least at the time, whether people could be sure about what the future held. Because in terms of, I guess this is benefit of hindsight, but historically it's quite an unpredictable moment in time, particularly like like after 9-11 and going into the Iraq war, I think there's a lot on people's minds and it maybe is reflected in the culture a bit. Yeah. But I could be reading too much into it. And in which case I would just say... Yeah, this is um, it's an odd year and I think it kind of says a lot that a, like a fair few of the acts we see this year we'd never see again. Yeah, mm. that's
1: true. And for what it's worth, Lizzie, I don't think you are even too much into it with you know, the the landscape of the world at this time. I think there is really something to that, that people are seeking the familiar and the comfortable and the unchallenging because the world around them is the opposite of those things at this time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there's something to that, definitely. Yeah.
2: Hmm.
0: I think I'd
1: just concur in this, just in the sense that it
0: is absolutely loaded with talent show acts. Just the talent show acts are just dominating The charts. I think, I'm just trying to think. I think there's been a talent show act in all but
1: one of our episodes, two of our episodes, maybe this year. I bet even in those episodes we mentioned someone at number two or number three. You know, it's not all about the number ones as well. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, they really have been filling up the chart. But like you, uh, like you both, um, I think there's been a lot of good this year. Um, There's been a lot of inventive pop i think there's also been a lot of you know looking back and you know like i say lots of covers uh a re-release of a song that's 30 years old by this point obviously with my sweet lord right at the beginning um obviously that was um you know mitigating circumstances with that one really but also you know you've got things like uh, elvis and jxl like that's a lot of you know that's late 60s um gareth gates is going for like you know early really early 70s pop I think with stuff like Any One of Us um, and, you know, obviously his cover of Unchained Melody, that goes back as far as 55, you know. So, yeah, there's been a lot of looking back and a lot of, like you say, the comfy and the familiar. But there's also been stuff like Lose Yourself and Heaven, which are very much of a moment. And then you also have things like Round Round and Freak Like Me and a song that we will mention quite soon, which look forwards and i think this is something i said in the year 2000 actually which is just that i think every year is going to be like a year of transition um i think this yeah. has been my favorite year so far um i've only put one song in the pie hole but i've put one two three four five six seven mm. songs in the vault out of the ones that we've had at number one mm. so i think it's you know it's not the strongest year for pop but i think it has the, you know that the strong songs have been great um really really great um, ones i play regularly anyway um they've come back into my some have come back into my rotation some have never really left it over the last sort of 10-15 years since i was you know a teenager and starting to listen to my own music and stuff so yeah it's it's okay definitely an improvement on last year um and just about up to the um the standards of 2002 but obviously 2002 was also a pretty mixed year um in my opinion i think that We've got some much better years coming up. I think um, there's little hints in 2002 that 2003 is going to be shaped by basically just American R&B artists. They're just going to be... They're, they're, we're going to really invite Americans in in a big, big way in 2003 in a way that we've not really done so far. Or at least just international acts, actually. Not just Americans... You know, the in, international acts mm. and a flavor for, I'm not quite sure how to put this, um, just a, a flavor for American styles. And obviously the eyes of the world are on America in 2002 and in 2003 in, in more ways than one. And I
1: think that shows in the charts uh, next year. Mm. The the only other thing I want to mention, um, really, is that although, obviously, our podcast is about number ones and we keep our focus on that, I think this year, more than either of the other years we've covered so far, there is a story behind the story where there are other things happening beneath the number one spot that I think are having an influence and that's yet to manifest itself at the top. Well, not always yet to manifest itself because one of those things is, I think, the sort of earnest... Man pain balladry of Enrique Iglesias, which we've seen once this year with Hero, that is actually echoing through a lot of pop music at this time, I think. Um,
2: yeah.
1: There's, there's a few, I think I mentioned this on the episode where we covered Daniel Bedingfield with If You're Not the One. That was straight out of Enrique's playbook. And there's also um, a, a big thing happening, um, a big sort of cosmic change. In the lives of a generation of young kids at the moment, which is the arrival of Busted on the scene, um, soon to be followed by McFly in the next year or two, which I think really kind of starts something um, in the in UK chart music, and that's happening already. We just haven't seen it at the top yet. So I think there are things beneath the top spot this year which are worthy of mention as well. And there is a certain—I'm not going to spoil it now—but there is a certain artist in 2003, who is perhaps the most influential musician in the world who doesn't get a number one next year. So there's a lot more of that to come as well. Um, so, yeah, there's always a story beneath number one as well. Mm.
2: I'd also yeah. just like to respond to your point, Rob, about how in, like, 2003 and onwards, we kind of accept more American stuff into our into our lives and into our pop charts I, but, but I think on that, we're in a period or well, we're entering a period where British pop music still holds its own against that. And it's only when we yeah. get a bit later on, like 2008 onwards, when that seems to kind of fall away. And it's, you know, predominantly American or North American music that dominates the charts. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we've all got totally. a couple good, good years left.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we were talking about this when we discussed Lady Marmalade last year, where that very much felt like an American import in a way that quite a lot of American pop music these days just feels like everything else. There's a, a certain cultural homogenization that's been underway uh, throughout most of the 2010s, I think, where American pop just kind of becomes pop. Just it is the all-consuming thing. Yeah, um, yeah. But we will definitely get to those. I feel
1: that in way. Future years, I feel that way about dilemma this year. That I can imagine, not so much for kids, but like for parents of kids at the time, would have heard that song and thought, "What is this? You know, what are they on about? My boo and stuff like that." Yeah. You know that 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 song stands out like a sore thumb as a American import. I think. Um, yeah, mm. there's a lot more to come on that next year. As well, Definitely. either
2: that, or if, if if they were into like R and B in the eighties, they would have gone. Hang on a minute, isn't that Patty Labelle? <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh,
0: okay, so we've looked back at the full year, and we've arrived at the big day, and so the chart to decide Christmas number one was actually announced on the twenty second of December, which means that the top ten on Christmas Day two thousand and two was. As follows, and just like I did last year, I'm going to slip into a character of an early 2000s chart reader. Um, so forgive <laughs> me if I if my impression isn't very good, and forgive me if my hoarse voice doesn't quite uh, live up to the enthusiasm of those youthful radio hosts of yesteryear. <laughs> so here we go. At 10, it's down three from seven. Feel by Robbie Williams. At nine, it's a re-entry for Avril Lavigne and her Skater Boy. At eight, it's a former number one, a Sarah Hay, The Ketchup Song, by Last Ketchup. At seven, it's another re-entry, this time for Love Incorporated with You're a Superstar. At six, it's down two from four, a former number one, If You're Not the One, by Daniel Bedingfield. At five, into the top five from the 8 Mile soundtrack, it's Lose Yourself, by Eminem. Number four, last week's number one, sorry seems to be the hardest word for Blue and Elton John. Down three from the top spot. At number three, down one from two, it's the cheeky song, Touch My Bum, by the Cheeky Girls. (laughs) And at two, it's a massive new entry for One True Voice, with their double A-side debut single, Sacred Trust and After You're Gone. But it is not enough. To claim Christmas number one for 2002, that particular honour was claimed by this. This is Sound of the Underground by Girls Aloud. Released as the lead single from the group's debut studio album entitled Sound of the Underground, Sound of the Underground is Girls Aloud's first single to be released in the UK. It is, of course, their first to reach number one, but it is not the last time we'll be discussing Girls Aloud on this podcast. Sound of the Underground went straight in at number 1 as a brand new entry, knocking Blue and Elton John off the top of the charts, as you just heard. It spent a total of 4 weeks at the top of the UK charts. In its first week at number 1, which is when it became Christmas number 1, it sold 213,000 copies, beating competition from the new entries, and songs that we just covered in the Top 10 Rundown. In its second week atop the charts, it sold 128,000 copies, beating competition from almost nobody. The highest new entry was at number 59, Mundi Tabashke" K by oh. Punjabi MC. Yes. In its third week at number one, it sold 56,000 copies, beating competition from the highest new entry that week, which was React by Eric Sermon and uh, Redman who featured on Dirty by Christina Aguilera, and that got to number 14. In its fourth and final week at number one, it sold 34,000 copies, beating competition from Danger High Voltage by Electric Six, which got to number two, what a shame, The Way by Divine Inspiration, which got to number five, and a cover of Salisbury Hill by Erasure, which got to number 10. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Sound of the Underground fell two places to number three. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 22 weeks. The song was certified platinum in the UK in March 2003, so it did not take long. Clearly, this was a big deal. And I should say, before we go into our comments about the song, that this, of course... Um, Staying at number one for four weeks means that it took us into the first few weeks of January 2003. So when we get to 2003 in our next episode, the first number one of that year will not be from the first day. It won't be from New Year's Day. Um, So, Andy, Sound of the Underground by Girls Aloud. This is a big deal,
1: I don't really know how to quite begin talking about it, but go ahead. Yeah, um, first of all, just have to pay tribute to Danger High Voltage. I'm so sad that that didn't make number one. Um, it's an absolute camp classic, but it gives me some consolation that it's been beaten by this because this is great, this is brilliant. Um, it's so good to finally have a Christmas number one that's good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Robbie and Nicole was like fine, and Bob was Bob, um, but this is. This is really, really good. And I actually remember at the time that there was, although we were still in the early days of reality TV, we we did already have that kind of wry, sort of, hmm, you know, doubtful approach. From critics who were like, "Yeah, these artists—they're not going to take off," and you know, their music is just rubbish, really. Which you can kind of understand because most of the reality TV stuff, as we've said, you know, has been a little bit bland that we've got this year. There's been glimmers from, you know, just a little by Liberty X, um, which I mean, that's the main one, really, you know, which which have sort of shown. But there's not really been any artist from a reality TV show so far that has hit the scene with a big bang and has really kind of asserted, this is what we're going to be about, and this is our kind of music, and this is what we're going to bring to the conversation. That hasn't really happened yet, until Girls Aloud have come along. Um, And they just sit in a space that they just perfectly occupy from now, right until they split up, really, which is about nine, ten years later, which is they have this killer combination of their songs, particularly this one, and particularly, I would say, biology Love Machine to some extent, promise to some extent, no good advice, where they kind of have this slightly odd, offbeat energy to them where it's like they have some lyrics that are a little bit weird Um, they kind of throw some inflections into their vocals, which you don't really expect. The instrumentation is always a little bit strange. That twangy guitar that sounds like it's from Footloose that's in this song is really out of place, kind of deliberately. I think it's there to kind of offset the listener. And that recurs in No Good Advice as well. That same guitar that sort of is there in quite an obnoxious way. But they combine that kind of quirkiness and oddness with personalities and a media image that is like... Just a girls night out. Like they are really kind of uncomplicated, friendly, fun girls, just like everybody, you know, you really want to be around them and really have fun with them. But they've got credibility because their music is not just generic throwaway pop. It has, you know, bite to it. It has edge to it. And that's what this song has, that this this concerted effort through the music video to the production to the lyrical content of the song, really, that it's very sort of going for a grungy vibe. It's going for, yeah, we're not going to come out with a winner song, like a moment like this, like Leona. I know they wouldn't have known about that, but that sort of thing, they're not going to come out with a big ballad like has to be said, like One True Voice did, who came out with the most generic stuff ever. We're not going to do that. We're going to come out with a big pop banger. Who needs to know that we came from a talent show? Who needs to go on about like, oh, I followed my heart and achieved my dream? No, we're not going to do that. We're going to come out with a big, big pop song. That is the way you do it. You use a talent show as a platform and you make it big by just literally just using that platform for nothing else than what it is. And then you become an artist off the back of it. I don't think to this day anyone has done that as successfully in the UK and as immediately as Girls Aloud have. Um, And I think this song really sets the template for them so immediately um, that it's really, really impressive that they never really diverge too much away from the image and the sound that they project with this song. It helps as well that it's just really well written, that um, I think... Every aspect, the verse, the bridge and the chorus are all kind of equally catchy as each other, but none of them are particularly hard to sing along to. None of them are, you know, particularly overdeveloped. They're all quite simple, but they're simple and catchy and particularly the chorus, um, which has all five of them sort of somewhat in unison, but some of them harmonizing to really power those vocals through from all five of them. The production is a star as well, that it really hits in the right places, pulls back in the right places as well, and gives you several really, really good drops as that guitar does that, as it gets to the chorus, just gorgeous. Um, I really, really love this, as you can probably tell, but the, I mean, the best thing I can say is that as much as I love this, it's not even my favourite Girls Aloud single. It's maybe not <laughs> even in my top five. I'm a really big fan of them. Um, and I think this is just so fresh, it's so exciting. It really shows what you can do um, with that platform that you're given, Um, and I really wish that this had been the template that was followed forward, that people wouldn't come out with crap like a moment like this and when Mm -hmm. you believe that they would hit the scene straight away with a big banger. That's sadly not to be, but we'll always have girls allowed for that, Um, and this is absolutely great and thoroughly deserving of Christmas number one. It's fantastic, yeah. Awesome, yeah, really great, uh, Lizzie. How about you?
2: Yeah, I think you've pretty much hit the nail on the head, Andy. So I'm glad I've got to follow that. Um, <laughs> try and find something to say about it. I'm sure. Um, yeah, I've kind of alluded to it before, but I think this, along with um, Freak Like Me and Round Round earlier in the year, feel like the the start of like a renaissance of British pop, which lasts until sort of the latter part of the decade. And it's also the last time, like you say, that we see anything even remotely like this in terms of talent show winners songs. Like instead of the big triumphant victory lap ballad that's impossible to relate to and impossible to really follow up on in any meaningful way, we get this jolt of electricity and energy. You get a big statement of intent. It's like here they are, your new favourite pop group, it's Girls Aloud. Like Andy, in when we were discussing Lose Yourself, you mentioned Spice Up Your Life, and I think this is kind of a sibling to that song.
1: Yeah, I see that. Yeah, I'd I can, see that. I can see that, yeah, definitely.
2: In a way that it is just big and it's loud and it's sort of energetic and it's infectious, but it's sort of different to... I, I feel in general we're moving away from that Spice Girls era, kind of late 90s, where everything is about, you know, fun and colour and, you know, happiness. And it's all moving towards cool. Like, cool is the new cool. And um, (laughs) like I say, we've already seen that with the Sugar Babes, and we see a lot more of it here, where it is just like... It's cool, but it's approachable in a way. It feels sort of relatable. Like, it's like someone you know. It's not... I don't know, when we get to like the pussycat dolls in a few years where it feels like it's six billionaires singing at you. But they are cool, but I don't know, you you don't feel like you could bump into them at the club or anything. Uh yeah. Girls Aloud yeah. all they all have their own identities and they all feel like people you could you you know, you could know in your everyday life because that's I guess what they are. That's what they've come from. They've come from some like humble beginnings to this untouchable pop group almost overnight. And it's only because of something like this, this big statement piece that you launch yourself from, like everything about this from, you know, the sort of drum bass intro, which was um, said to have been inspired by, you know, addicted to bass by Pure Tone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah so that kicks in there's um like you say the twangy surf guitar which I actually thought was a sample I had to check and it's not but I thought it was like Misaloo by Dick Dale or something it isn't it's it just does
1: sound like Misaloo yeah
2: yeah they've they've kind of I want to say they've manipulated it in such a way that it sounds like something from the that sort of 50s era but it's it's not it's just been recorded for this song apparently and it works really well it's this kind of throw everything at the wall approach and you know see what see what works and see what comes out in the in the wash and it just sounds brilliant it's um one of my favorite quotes on this um uh, one of the writers says girls Aloud explodes like a five-headed kylie minogue <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can see it <laughs> and um yeah uh i I, again i don't know how to really improve upon your point because i think you've absolutely nailed it but this is how it should have been done this is how to launch an artist and how to make them a household name like that and not just fade away like so many of them do is by doing something like this something that has energy and presence and thought put into it like this is yeah. you know this is all you really need to do. And it's a shame we don't get any more of this, but I'm glad we have this because this is fantastic.
1: It really is interesting though, isn't it, that we have these two launches at the same time between Girls Aloud and One True Voice because One True Voice, bless them, they're probably fine. You know, they're not that bad, but the other one of these groups is Girls Aloud and they've got Sound of the Underground. You know, it it really is David and Goliath there. And that's because... What One True Voice released was just achingly generic Westlife slash Backstreet Boys infused kind of sort of mid-tempo balladry stuff. It was just completely throwaway. And it's mm. weird that that was rejected completely in favor of Girls Allowed and everyone's forgotten that song by One True Voice. When actually that's the stuff that they go with in the future. It's like they changed their mind from the success they had with Girls Allowed and I really don't understand why because this was this was such a success. Um it's very odd to me. Maybe they just got lazy.
2: Well I did I was sort of wondering about this before because I was thinking like when they were planning this series did they have the idea that we'd have one, like, we'll have a girl group that's like the Sugar Babes and we'll have a boy band that's like Blue. But by the time the series is finished, Blue have kind of peaked and that sort of stuff is on the out. Whereas, you know, there's there's something with the girl group where you've got, like, a way forward with it.
1: Yeah, it's... Mm. I don't know. I almost wonder if it was deliberately intended for Girls allowed to get that Christmas number one because uh,
2: it's... I don't know. I mean,
1: I... I'm not saying it was a fix or anything, but I just think like the gulfing quality between the two of them is is so massive that it's laughable. You know, that, that these two songs you could it's almost objective. You know, you could just listen to these two in isolation and think, which is the better one that's gonna sell more records. Of course it's gonna be Sound of the Underground, you know, and I I wonder if I wonder if the producers of the show honestly thought there was gonna be a real rivalry here. Um because, it, I mean, it, it, if there was for Christmas number one, it was never going to last beyond this one song. So yeah.
2: I only slightly doubt what you say, just because look at the Westlife number ones we've had this year.
1: They've yeah, not been good, and
2: they've sold gangbusters, you know.
0: Yeah, no, you're <laughs> yeah, right. It's about branding. It's all about branding. I think the Girls Aloud branding was way stronger, way more individual. I think Girls Aloud was sort of separated from other girl groups, I think they took things from, like, Sugar Babes or the moodier end of Atomic Kitten and then made something new with it. You know, they stuck them... I just think the, the, the image of that video from Sound of the Underground is way more striking absolutely, than the soft blues and greys of the One True Voice video where it's just a load of lads... Even the band ...singing names. very politely. Yeah, yeah, girls allowed. I feel like it picks up from girl power absolutely, yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Whereas One True Voice is just... Nothing. Well, it could be anything. It Actually, One True Voice just sounds like the name of another talent competition. Whereas Girls Aloud sounds like, if you were going to have it be a TV show, like One True Voice, Girls Aloud sounds like something, like, I don't know, it, like it would have the attitude of Tracy Beaker or something like that, which means that kids get on board. And then, because all the adults have been watching it and following all their stories... It means that more people are going to buy into them, and I think that yeah. there's something about this that is just to kind of move into discussing it, it. This is, I yeah, I really love sound of the underground. I think it's fast and exciting, and most importantly, I think for this little point uh, in history, is that after a year of like you were saying, you know, a bit of familiarity, a lack of ambition, especially from talent shows, you know basically talent show acts being given lots of very safe things like even like novelty stuff like the cheeky girls like it's just a 90s dance track that's all it is it's it's something that they've clearly found at the back of a drawer and they've given to the cheeky girls to make a bit of extra cash for themselves whereas with girls Aloud, it's it's it it just it's so it's new it is something new not to that, that, any Girls Aloud experts who know that they released a song in like 2012 called Something New that, that wasn't a pun, that <laughs> no. wasn't like a deliberate thing. I got
1: your reference, <laughs> don't you worry. But, yeah,
0: um, but much like, um, Can't Get You Out of My Head from last year, you can sort of see where pop is going within about three minutes. You know, like the, the whole process behind it, too, like put, pitting Girls Aloud and One True Voice against each other, it was basically like a referendum. For the British public, it was like, do you want dance music, electronics, break beats, stuff that's loud, new? Or do you want something that's familiar and pleasant and nicely composed? You know, it's done by the BGS. It was briefly considered by the Backstreet Boys. But I think, you know, we're, we're at the end of the third year of the decade here. And it feels like we finally got there. You know, I think after 9-11 obviously kicks off the decade and i feel like you know we're over a year from nine eleven at this point and we're well into the decade 2003 i think is the big year where the 2000s like properly take off but this is like yeah lighting the touch paper a little bit um on on the on the 2000s because the thing that really strikes me when i listen to one true voice and sacred trust is that it is so 90s yeah so very 90s. very 90s yeah um yeah. And I think it's just a little bit out of time and a bit out of date. Like, I kind of feel bad for the guys in One True Voice because history hasn't exactly painted them as the villains of this story, but it has painted them, like I have just done, and I think fairly, but it has painted them as regressive. Like, I think they were suitable and contemporary for the time, but I think they just missed the boat by about a year with this stuff. It's just how fast Pop moves in the 2000s, I think. Um, and like they get, they still get a number two single, you know, I think they have a, a, they had a a bigger appeal at the time than obviously they were given credit for, but you know, but it's just, yeah, like, you know, Sacred Trust, it was originally done for the Backstreet Boys by the Bee Gees and then they put it as like an album track on one of their albums from the year before and so, you know, there's like, there's this talent behind the song, but I think Sound of the Underground compared to this, it sounds so like accelerationist, that, like, by the time One True Voice were warming up just their second single, their sound was sort of... on the way out. Like, Westlife are, like, the last vestige of, like, the 80s power ballad. They're the only act left that are still getting number ones with this kind of stuff. Like, the big, kind of, 80s Oscar-winning kind of soundtrack stuff. They're the last act who are, sort of, doing that. You know, we're about to enter into a phase in pop where there are no songs containing key changes in certain years. Like, you know, if you look ahead to like the late two thousands and stuff, we're, we're on our way there.
1: Yeah. We
0: go entire years without number one singles having any key changes. And how many times have you mentioned them so far in this show? I'm going to miss them And it just shows so you much. that we're heading into a new era and Westlife are like the last act of a former, of a former era. Their fan base was just so big that they could release, like you say, sing the phone book and it would get to number one. Um, but I feel, I feel a bit bad for One Tree Voice because like you, Andy, I feel like they weren't given a proper shot. Like they weren't, it, it just felt a bit like you, you compare the two songs together and it's just like, okay, yeah, with the gift of hindsight, whatever. But I also don't really see how, if their branding was stronger maybe, but then again, like the fact that their branding isn't stronger makes me think that less effort was put into their side of it. And then they didn't even get to put an album out. It was just two singles and then they were dumped. Like, that was it. They had a a number two and a number 10, and then that was it. Like, it it was just over. And now they all, thankfully, they've all found work and stuff like that. But I think it says a lot that maybe they weren't fancied even when they were declared as the winners. The the people behind the scenes were just sort of like, ah, okay, Blue have done a cover to get to number one. like, it's their last time they get to number one and stuff like this. So, you know, maybe there's something in that. But um, back to Sound of the Underground. Like, even with 20 years gone by, like you two, I still love that mixture of surf rock guitars and break beats. The, they both do not, they just, they shouldn't work. And yet, they're, you know, their contrast. And the juxtaposition is what makes it so effective i think that the performances are really seductive and interesting a lot of the lyrics are like exciting and sexy and like there's lots of things said in this record that i don't think have been said in a number one single before things like crank the bass and static from the floor below and all of these images of like electricity and fire and and that that lyric as well, when it drops, it catches like fire, like oh yeah, like that, It's the whole the lyrics sound like a chemical reaction is being described, and I think that's what makes it sound so change, It sounds like it's changing things as it as it's um, as it's going along. This idea that control is lost and whatever's underway cannot be undone. You know, the girls have gone to somewhere secret and they're inviting us along. And once you're under their spell, that's it. You know, girls allowed and girls allowed. You know, very clever trick. It's this place where girls go and they have a good time and it's their secret dungeon, if you will. Um, So, yeah, and last year I watched, uh, as I later found out, a 73 or 74-year-old woman on my Man and Andy's karaoke team performed this and she got Judge's Choice on that night because the way that she performed it really suited the song, but I think it's a real testament to how it's lasted, that, like, someone who was not of the generation who was supposed to enjoy this really connected with it, and they're still performing it 20 years later. Um, I don't think this is as revolutionary as history considers it to be. I think it's, like I said, accelerationist, and it moves pop forward um, just because of the exposure and the branding and the excitement and stuff. But I said earlier in the year that Round Round did this sort of thing too, but just a bit earlier. True. And obviously this is written by, um, is Zenomania? Yeah, Zenomania. Zenim- yeah, Zenomania. Yeah. And, you know, they had already done stuff with Sugar Babes and stuff. And um, like yourself, Lizzie, I was reading, um, you've mentioned Addicted to Bass by Pure Tone, and Freaky Trigger mentions Addicted to Bass as well. I think it takes a lot from big beat acts too, like Fatboy Slim, The Prodigy, um but channeling all of those things they've picked where i think music from one true voice and the team who were who were assembled to put all that together i think they picked things from the 90s that were very much of the 90s and maybe looked back a little bit you know the bgs have been writing songs for like 40 years by the time they uh, released uh, i think the album they released it from is when i come in or that's when i come in or something like that but they've been around for years by that point all of the imagery is very late 90s the the, the way that they're put across is very 90s whereas Fatboy boy slim and the prodigy and stuff like that if you just take right here right now by fat boy slim that whole video that accelerates the passage of time it's stuff from the this girls aloud song the sound of the underground it feels like it's been assembled by people who have taken bits of the '90s that point forwards. There's an element of, I would say, there's a there's a tiny element of future shock about this. Um, just like, because there's even like little bits of inspiration from things like Jungle and Break Breakcore and things like that. And it's amazing to have these things um, in a, in a pop song. Like I think, like I say, it's not entirely new and revolutionary. But I think putting it in a girl group setting is what makes it feel more revolutionary and especially coming from a talent show which up to this point had served very conservative pop to uh, to everybody I think I don't think this is uh, conservative um, I've loved it and I've loved it for a really long time and I think it kind of points a way forward but it's not really a way forward that that anybody especially talent shows really take up I think you know acts take bits and pieces from it. But they don't take the complete package in a way. I don't think they learn the lessons from it that all of the lessons from it that they should. yeah agreed. Um, yeah it's it, 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 this feels like a bit of a missed opportunity. This sort of feels like we're looking to what it's like with so solid crew. It feels like we were looking towards a future that never really happened, that never completely materialized. Um, but we'll get to that a bit more. in in later years but I will just finish off by saying that this is one of the greatest ever uh, Christmas number ones, no doubt yeah, absolutely. it's, yeah, not perfect Um, not as revolutionary as history likes to remember it as being, because it was part of a trend, I think, but it just gave that trend a big, big public platform to do something new and exciting but it also welcomed into the world one of the best pop groups of the 2000s even if we won't get to discuss all of their best songs on this show. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, so with that section complete, um, we are now going to move on to, I think, the bit of the show that everybody's sort of waiting for. And it's when Andy runs down the year and tells everybody what our bottom five and top ten songs were of 2002 so Andy what's the uh, what's the bottom five looking like
1: yeah so just to give some context to it just for any new listeners um who've joined us this year so um yes I'm gonna reveal our t- bottom five and top 10 songs of the year which the three of us have decided and you might be asking but Andy how do we know that? And it's because we secretly score these songs after every episode. Um, hmm. And I will reveal some of the secret scores to you as we go along. Some of them are very surprising, I think. I think there's one in particular in our bottom five that I was like, really? That's in the bottom five? Um, but we'll see. So just an honourable, well, dishonourable mention to the one that just made it out of the bottom five, which was Any One of Us by Gareth Gates. Just escaped it. Um, so our fifth lowest rated song of the year with an average score of 4.8 from us was World of Our Own by Westlife, um, okay. which I You're honestly, honestly forgot that we covered. <laughs> so yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Our, hey, you reminded me now though. Our fourth lowest, well a tie actually, our fourth lowest um, tied with fifth for Westlife Um with another score of 4.8 average is The Tide Is High, Get The Feeling by Atomic Kitten which I think Mm. that we might have been a bit harsh there I'm quite surprised to see that quite as low as that what do you two think?
2: Uh, It's disappointing Sort
1: of but sort of not
0: Mm.
2: How about you Lizzie? Yeah I'd like to say it's disappointing compared to their other two
1: yeah, mm. I think that influenced us quite a lot, that we were just disappointed. Absolutely. <laughs> Our third lowest-ranked song of the year with an average score of 4.1 was um, The Long and Winding Road slash Suspicious Minds by Will Young and Gareth Gates. Uh, yeah, mm. I think that one is yeah, more than justified. Yeah. Although
0: I will say that score of 4.1 would have kept it out of the bottom five in 2001. True. And just about in the year 2000 as well. Yeah. Yeah. So the scores are sort of okay, but it's just that the rest of the year has been a little better than I think we... uh, Maybe expected.
1: Well, hold that thought, because there's now a big leap downwards, um, a big decline, with an average <laughs> score of 2.6 <laughs> between the three of us. Our second lowest rated song of the year is Unbreakable by Westlife, yeah. which was so rubbish that we didn't even discuss it, really. Um, no. So, yeah. But there's one that's even worse than that, with an average score of 2.5. Which, um, I have to say, I hated so much that I scored it with a 1. Um, Lizzie scored it a 2, and Rob scored it a 4.5, so was slightly more kind. But I do think it really is the worst song of the year. Probably the worst song we've covered so far, to be honest. It is... If Tomorrow Never Comes by Rowan and Keating. Which <laughs> is awful. Awful. Personally, I would have had it as Unbreakable.
0: Tomorrow Never Comes would not be out of my bottom five, though, for the year. Um, I would rank it, like, alongside The Long and Winding Road, Suspicious Minds. Um, Stuff like that. You know, not terrible, but also nothing to make me even consider getting out of my seat. So, opposite end. The better stuff. Yeah. Yeah top 10 singles, our top 10 number 1 singles, should I say, yeah. of the year 2002, according to Hits 21.
1: So, I'm delighted to say that just making it in at number 10, with an average score of 7.5, is the simply lovely The Ketchup Song, by Last Ketchup, Yay. making it in at number 10. Um, Honourable mention as well to the one that just missed out on number 11, which was Dirty by Cristina Aguilera and Redman. Uh, but yeah, ketchup song starts the list at number ten. We like fun. <laughs> also with a average score of seven point five, but the tie is broken by the fact that Lizzie put this in the vault. So in at number nine is More Than A Woman by Aaliyah. Yes.
0: Okay, yeah, our yeah. first
1: number one of the year. Yeah, yeah, oh. and it was pretty decent. I'm quite surprised it got as yeah. high as the top ten, but yeah, it was decent. Number eight, with an average score of 7.6 and put in the vault by Rob, it is Without Me by Eminem. Ah, good. Yeah, not not, not his best number
0: one of the year, um, but an Eminem song I very much like, so glad I, glad
1: I got that in. Yeah, yeah. And in at number seven for the year, put in the vault by me and with an average score of eight, it's Just a Little by Liberty X. Oh...
2: Yeah. Hey, that won
0: Song of the Week against uh, Without Me, I think, at the time. It was close, but just a little took
2: the title that that week.
1: Oh, you're quietly seething over that, I think, aren't you? (laughs) Oh, no. No, not seething. No, not
2: seething. Eminem got his win back. It's fine.
1: (laughs) In at number six and put in the vault by Rob, and with an average score of 8.1, it is Round Round by the Sugar Babes.
0: Okay, yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'm
0: glad that it's you know there's some respect being paid to it because
1: I, I, I very much like that obviously put it in the vault yeah we all like that yeah yeah um, mm. yeah number five also with a score of 8.1 but put in the vault by both Rob and me it is My Sweet Lord by George Harrison ah all which, the way back to the beginning again yeah. it's, it's almost uh-huh. the, you know I wondered whether to even include it, really, because it's, you know, not really a song from 2002. But then again, neither is Suspicious Minds, neither is Unchained Melody, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. And so we are into our top five now, and um, number four, with an average score, there's a big leap here, with an average score of 9.1, and put in the vote by all three of us, our number four song of the year is Lose Yourself by Eminem hey wow we're we oh.
2: number four it's been a, yeah I like you say it's been a strong year at
1: the top yeah really
2: strong year.
1: it's been a fantastic year really really fantastic year um, because the top three here are very close and any one of them could have won it Um, I will give away our number three first But just to say all three of these songs were put in the vault by all three of us We all raved about them on the episode So those of you who've been thinking about it can probably figure out which three songs these are But in at number three is the fabulous Heaven by DJ Sammy and Yanu featuring Doe, With an average score of
0: 9.3
1: Yeah, we love that Not quite, I mean, so
0: Heaven is the top three then so, the top three is Heaven, so Heaven made it in, and two other songs have made it into Heaven as well. They bypassed the Curly gates and got through.
2: Like, any of the year, I feel like both of that and Lose Yourself could have been number one, but faith and strong year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think um, Heaven and Lose Yourself both would have been top, they would have uh, completed the top three. Uh, in 2001, and they would have just about entered the top three as well in, uh, in 2002, uh, in, two, in the year 2000. Sorry.
2: Yeah.
1: Big battle for this year's title, and I think either of them would have won it in any other year. Um, but number two is a band who, in real life, really did have a race to Christmas number one alongside another group, and this time, unfortunately, they haven't made it. Our number two song of the year is Sound of the Underground by Girls Aloud with an average score of 9.3. Again, another one that I feel like, especially in some
0: future years, the the, the top five of these would just sail to number one for our best of the year, especially for some years that are coming. So, uh, very cool on uh, Sound of the Underground, but never mind, you know, they have lots of money and we don't, so
2: they (laughs) win. By the way, for the benefit of listeners, we've all vaulted that, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Vaulted it to to heaven and back. Um, Yeah. (laughs) With heaven. (laughs) And and we've all vaulted the number one of the year with an average score of 9.5. People may well have figured out by now what it is. It's a song that we all absolutely loved, and it is a worthy winner, I think, for the 2002 crown. I'm bringing on a virtual... Kylie Minogue here to present the crown to this year's winner, which is Freak Like Me by The Sugar Babes. Yeah, Yeah. That is our 2002 (laughs) Record of the Year, taking the mantle from Can't Get You Out of My Head by Kylie Minogue last year. Fun fact on this is that our number one for the year has yet to be won by anyone who isn't female. Um, and this mm. is the second out of three that's been won by a girl band after Pure Shores won it in All uh, Saints in two thousand. Let's course. see if that streak continues. Um, any final thoughts on Freak Like Me? Do we all still feel that is it is the best song of the year that we've had?
2: Yes, it's. I think I might have mentioned at the time it was one of my few nailed on tens going into this podcast, and I stand by that. Yeah, I
0: like it just as much as Heaven and Lose Yourself. Um, but I think it's one of those songs that, a lot like Sound of the Underground, actually, it takes things from the past in order to make them seem more futuristic instead of just repeating them. Um, yeah. It points somewhere forward with something that's, it's, it's something that's from something that's gone before. So, yeah, very happy with that. And I still love the emotional release of the uh, Good for Me with my <laughs> COVID rattle voice uh, <laughs> doing a wonderful rendition of it there. But yeah, okay, so that's it. Our top 10 songs of the year are all out the way. Bottom five songs of the year are out of the way. The whole of 2002 is out of the way. Um, to be honest, Girls Aloud even took us into 2003, so a bit of 2003 is out of the way as well. Thank you so much for listening to all of our episodes as we have covered the year 2002. When we come back, we'll be covering the period between January 1st to the 15th of March, 2003. So it's a big stretch that we're covering in the next episode. Of course, three of those weeks we won't be covering because we've already covered them now Uh, in this episode, obviously (laughs) with Sound of the Underground. Um, The other thing as well is that we let you know a couple of weeks ago that our interview with Brian Capron, Richard Hillman, is going to be going out alongside our next episode, our first step into 2003, um, because he was killed off from Coronation Street on the 14th of March, 2003. So it just crept in to the window of time that we're covering from that year. And we also got his opinion about the song that was number one on the day that Richard snuffed it uh, (laughs) on Corrie when he drove into the canal attempting to kill one, two, three, four, five people, and only ended up killing himself. So it was a lovely interview, and we cannot wait to put it out. We've been holding on to it for absolutely ages. There's some great moments in it. There's some great quotes from Brian. Really knows his stuff about music, really likes to talk, which always makes for a great guest. And we just... Some of you will have read bits of it uh, in my uh, Radio Times piece. Um, But, yeah... Um, so you can hear the full thing in uh, just just, just a week's time just a week's time so you don't have to wait much longer thank you very much for listening to us throughout all of 2002 Lizzie and Andy do either of you have anything to say before we leave
1: Now just roll on 2003 see you next year everyone
2: yeah see you in 2003 okay bye bye everyone see you then
1: see ya bye bye